Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Create More podcast. On this week's episode, I am talking to Deborah Stevens of Dramatic Training Solutions. Now, Debs is someone that I've known, we, we worked out in the podcast almost 10 years, um, someone who does these really fascinating kind of, their they can be like they're described as team building exercises and they're very interactive they have actors you do personality testing we talk all about this in the podcast and it's been so instrumental in kind of how i've developed the last 10 years and i think it's really important the bigger the team the more fun and engaging these are and the more interesting they are especially when the team dynamics are really exciting she's also just released a book called stand out five key skills to success uh, it's really, really interesting, and we talk lots about what it's like to write a book, all of the things she's learned, uh, what, what's been fascinating about the whole process, and she's just such a nice person to talk to, and she's always so generous with the time. So enjoy the episode and listen to the end to find out who's on next week's podcast. Enjoy. Anyway, I should say, I'm going to start the podcast by saying, hi, Debs, thanks for coming on. Um, are you aware that the last time we spoke... Uh, was almost exactly a year ago when you came on my other podcast. <laughs> is it really? That was a long time ago. Lots happened then. <laughs> Does that not feel crazy to you? I was like, I was, there's no way it's been a year. That was um, so. The last time we spoke was just after lockdown had happened. Yep. Oh my goodness. Well, a lot has happened. A lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> We've had really? a whole. That's a whole year ago. My God, I thought it was longer actually. To be honest with you, there you go. So, We've had what pandemics, recessions. We've had uh, <laughs> political upheaval, riots. We've had the whole lot, and yeah. uh, and I think what's interesting is uh, I guess you are a people person. You go around and you talk to lots of people, to yeah. p- person to person. Yeah. So to suddenly be forced into a kind of zero physical contact business has been a big transition for you. What, what's um, why don't you give people a bit of background of what you do, and then why don't you explain to us kind of like how you've transitioned, I guess, over the last year. Yeah, well, you're right. Actually, my 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 literally my job is people and working with people, and we do experiential training. That means learning through experience. So you actually have to do something. It's immersive. We use professional actors, so it's all very visual, very sort of like connected, um, and always face to face. And I'll be honest with you, I've got literally got myself recorded saying we'll never do anything virtual because we are a face to face training company. And um, yeah, and love what we did, traveled all over the world. I've been to 79 different countries. I do. And then, of course, when the pandemic hit, I've been doing this business for 26 years. I had that moment of uh, quite sick fear. What, what we can't do this any other way um but isn't it funny how resilient we are as people because within six weeks first of all I sort of re- reached out to my customers and offered free training basically I just said look let's just do something let's do anything I can to help you and we did it on zoom and I thought actually this works and then six weeks later I was doing my business virtually um 
little bit at a time. It grew. I got better. Thank goodness, because it was pretty dire at the beginning. Um, but the great thing about it is because we use actors, of course, it's like watching TV. So <laughs> yeah. you can absolutely do what we did um, because it's like on screen. So it works really, really well. But well, I think that's <clears throat> so I guess uh, as a bit of backstory, the first time we met actually was many, many years ago on uh, I want to say maybe almost 10 years ago. I, I think maybe it is. Yeah, it's going, <clears throat> and I was a, I was a young whippersnapper. I was new to the world of architecture, and what was really cool is, uh, I think the reason I'm excited to do this podcast with you is that um, what you talk about is something that I'm genuinely fascinated with, and I think people skills, interpersonal people skills, that, and um, you use a Simon Sinek quote that like uh, it's not soft skills, it's human skills and hard skills, and I've, I, that that was one of my one of the things I loved in the book that you wrote was. Um, which will come on to a bit, is, uh, yeah, it's a super important part. And it wasn't until I first met you, which was on a training course day, where we uh, we were on quite a, it was quite an argumentative site issue. You know, we were with contractors. There was a lot of, like, big problems going on. And what was really cool is uh, the practice I worked at at the time, Make, they were kind of forward-thinking enough to say, well, how can we train all our part ones, part twos, new architects? Uh, in like not argumentative skills but understanding how to operate in the heat of an argument and also the other half of it was how we as a team <clears throat> could talk like an internal team as well because uh, and I'm just setting the scene here that we were the first kind of big team at the office who'd moved to a site and we kind of lived as this little family and uh you know like any family you know there's like trials and tribulations you go through and we brought you know you guys came in with actors and we did a day-long kind of workshop of um, first interpersonal skills about how we could learn more about each other. And then we did role-playing in the afternoon, which was you guys taking on the roles of like argumentative contractors who would just purposely try and annoy us. <laughs> and I, rem I still remember to the day, uh, I still remember that feeling of one of your actors really getting under my skin as a contractor. And you were like, time out, <laughs> time out. That's not how you should respond. <laughs> and it was really, really good fun. And since then, I've always been uh, fascinated the process that you've gone through which isn't something that architects traditionally are taught I mean do you I'm assuming you work in loads of different professions architecture is not the one that you do what how how wide a range do you work with yeah we work with lots of different types of companies so we work with companies in hospitality so we've done a lot of work with um not so much at the moment with travel companies like Royal Caribbean and some of the airlines we've worked in banks so some of the top banks like Royal Bank of Scotland and um, Coca-Cola and um, yeah, a lot of big, big, huge uh, educational company that um, supplies global um, education all around the world to all different types of schools and universities. They're companies that care about people and they care about how their people interact and collaborate with each other as well as external contacts. That's sort of the glue, really. I think it's a it's a fascinating. Uh, okay, so how can I say this without incriminating anyone? It's interesting the people who engage with the process that we've been through, and people who don't engage. And ironically, it's normally the people who don't engage are the very people who really do need to engage in this process. Because <laughs> um, what happened? Um, I guess it's it's really fun for you, and it must be fascinating. I guess one of the reasons you stuck with it even during the, even during the pandemic, you know, when you're yeah. really pushed to the like push the limits, do you still stick with the thing that you love doing? And that yeah. is, uh, I guess, the process of watching people learn and understand a bit more about themselves. And 
I would say as well, a big kind of thank you that uh, I guess the, the reason I like doing this podcast is quite a personal podcast to me. So when we did this originally, going back to this very original project as on, I don't know if you remember, but um, you did the ENFJ. No, like, are you like introverted, extroverted? You did the four. Yeah. What, ex- explain that as a, as a brief concept and then. Well, if I remember rightly, you were, the, you were an ENFP. So <laughs> you've got four, di- four different dichotomies. So you've got the introvert versus the extrovert. So obviously this is about energy and the focus of the energy that we have. And a lot of people think introverts are shy and extroverts are confident, which is absolutely not the case. You get shy extroverts, you get shy introverts. But what you do, the difference is that introverts are much more introspective. So they like to think before they speak and extroverts will speak their thoughts. So people like me and you, we've just, you know, we're doing the right job, aren't we? If you think about <laughs> it, because we speak our thoughts and, but you know, this is where there's sometimes clashes because we can, if we're not careful, we can use all the introverts face up, not let them speak. So there's that. And then there's the uh, the sensing and intuition, which is around taking in information and the senses like detail and concrete and sequential and the big picture, like exactly, exactly that big picture, concepts, ideas. And you can see how that wouldn't marry up if you were like working together. And then the one that causes most conflict is the thinker feeler how we make decisions. So feelers make it from their gut and thinkers make it from their head, but it also affects how we can take on feedback and how we um, interact with people because feelers are much more about harmony. Thinkers are much more about fairness and there can be all sorts of conflict around that. And then finally, there's the organized versus the adapting. So organized, obviously, planned step. They like to know happening when it's happening and they like a finish. Whereas the adapters are much more go with the flow, it's emerging, the ideas come late, always up against it in a deadline, but, you know, more creative at that point. And it's not that it's wrong, either one is wrong, it's just about difference. And that's the key thing. If we understand each other's differences and can appreciate those things and respect them, we actually start to fill in the bits of the jigsaw puzzle for each other. And it's it's fascinating watching people learn that and adapting and actually a lot of partners you know husband wives partners boyfriends go all that a lot of them are really really different really normally are often uh, opposites attract and are you and your partner that you, 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 well, you and no um it's a he's a thinker i'm a feeler but it's the same <laughs> but that that's that's more difficult in a way because you find yourself um you know wanting to be yourself but you have to adapt. You can't. You can't just leave children to get their own pat lunches in the morning, for instance, and <laughs> hope they get to school on time with a pat lunch. Someone's got to take that organising role, and it can. You can have all sorts of issues that way too. But it, yeah, interesting stuff. Because I, I think uh, the the reason I really enjoyed it was, and I don't remember, know if you remember this, was uh, that I was in a team of six, and when we were asked to fill out this, it was like all of the introverted detail people go to the right and all of the extroverted mm-hmm. like, feeler people go to the and it was just me and our head of human resources <laughs> on one side and all the rest of my team on the other and I still to this day like remember at that so you know remember 10 years ago I remember thinking I'm not I'm not meant for this you know like I, I'm an odd one out I like why is it why am I why am I so different to everyone else in the way they thought yeah. anyway and then you then kind of fast forward maybe eight years later when did we like when did you work last time it was maybe two maybe three years ago two and a half years yeah. ago or something yeah and we did the same yeah. process again didn't yeah. we yeah but with a much larger team of like I think it was yeah. 10 or 12 or whatever 
And again, it was the same personality traits that kind of popped up that I was like so far one end <laughs> and everyone was like giggling that I was so far. Like, I think one of the questions was, do you turn like serious work into play? And I was like, no, I think I'm quite serious. And everyone on my team was like, you need to go right down the play end. And I was like, oh yeah. man, I can't ignore my skills. But it's funny that as I've got closer to kind of, I guess, upper management or, or running teams, the more beneficial that yeah. those skills have come yeah. and I'm really glad that I've I guess I've had to become a bit more like a bit more hardened to being called the kind of fun odd one out in that because architecture is not traditionally doesn't have a lot of people like me you know like I, I always feel a bit like an odd one out and one of the things I loved about um, reading your book which I will come on to a second is that a lot of the things the soft skills that uh, are going to become more beneficial I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe I need to stick on to these, and maybe you know, these are really good skills. Um, so yeah, you've been a you've been a key component in that, like the Ben Stewart trail of progression oh, over oh, the nice. last ten years. But I want to come onto your book. So you have just released it. But when did it come out? Yesterday? No, week. It, well, it, I got my copy yesterday, but it actually was published on the third of March. But like everything, there's been so many issues with distribution and stuff. It's been a bit late, actually being into the you know the bookshops online bookshops but yeah it's out now anyway so this seemed like uh i wanted to have you on anyway and have a like a chat anyway and then the book was coming out so it's too perfect so the book is standout uh, yes. it's five key skills to advance your career so you, why, why don't you tell us a bit about the book and then i've got a million questions to ask you okay so the the book is all about um how we can stand out as humans so it's about the five key human skills that of a lot of the research that I did and a lot of the reports that have been written about the future of work are saying are going to be key skills that we're going to need in the future to thrive and survive in the workplace. Because as automation and AI kicks in and it's kicking in quicker than it ever would have done because of the pandemic, um, as that kicks in, the idea is that we will complement machines, uh, robots, for want of a better way of calling them we will compliment them because they would do this the thing they don't like doing they would do the you know is boring what well, it certainly is for me anyway in my personality type um they would do those things and we'll be allowed to get on with the things that we really enjoy like if you're in hospitality for instance connecting with customers if you're in retail you know creating a, a customer experience um even if you're you're in, in it right now you're going to need these skills because um, IT people in the future will be much more around interacting with people and helping people out. So um, the book I wrote is a sort of masterclass in how to improve those skills. And I think it's about because we a lot of us have lost them because we've started to become human robots. And that's, we've got lots and lots of tests to make sure that robots don't become human. But have we got a test for humans to make sure we don't become robots? Because with all the, the processes and all the digital devices we've got, we are losing our ability to connect and our ability to socialize, our ability to listen. It's because as I was reading it, it's um, it was just interesting to me that like right now, how many people have 100% been across Zoom calls, you know, like no physical contact. <laughs> and uh, also that um, a lot of people might not be comfortable with doing this Zoom chat. Like it happens to just completely be in my skill set to want to and actively love doing this but for a lot yeah. of people they they hate they hate doing this across yeah. zoom you know it's yeah. like terrible for them and then you know suddenly being given that as a challenge 
Um, and I think the I think the, the book's really well timed. In uh, everyone's had a lot more time to think, a lot more time to be on their own, and a lot more time to be in their own head. And actually. Um, I don't know about you, but like dog walks or anything, you know, you listen to podcasts, audiobooks. I, I've just become obsessed with audiobooks and particularly on this kind of self-improvement side of things. And it was just really nice to read a book that is very much kind of talking about, as I said, the soft skills, human skills, things that we maybe don't do. And, and I think it's fascinating to hear the AI angle, which I'd not really thought of, that I guess to a lot of people, there's a comfort that comes with doing repetitive tasks, you know, big, complicated, repetitive tasks that it's actually too difficult to explain to anyone else. So you can do it. But very quickly, <laughs> if it can be easily repeated, you're kind of yeah. kind of kind of out of a job. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. A lot of, a lot of people. Well, the thing is, there is a lot to say that there will be a lot of jobs lost. But that doesn't mean people will be out of job. It means mm. there'll be different jobs. There's a lot of opportunity coming. And that's why it's important to be ready for that. And you're going to need human skills. You're going to need some tech skills too. Don't get me wrong. We're not getting rid of all the tech skills, but you're going to need those human skills if you want if you want to make the most of those opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting. You um you also mentioned uh, I kind of I've got to the point. Um, growth mindset is one thing I really yeah. wanted to talk to you about, which yeah. is um amazing. I'll be honest, is is a relatively new concept to me. Uh, even though I think if you've if you've read a lot of some you know really great books that it's it's a concept that I'm kind of fascinated by and it's one thing why why don't you explain the idea of growth mindset well I wish it was mine it's it's not mine it comes from a lady called Carol Dweck who did some amazing research and it and originally it was all done to help children because there was all this research done about how uh, and there's lots of, again lots of research done about the brain and about how the brain actually grows and how it grows and what what creates those new pathways to be created and a lot of it is to do with failure, making mistakes. When we fail in mistakes, we grow up actually physically, our brain gets bigger, believe it or not. So they all, well, we have a mantra actually in our training, fail fast, learn fast. And because the quicker you fail, the quicker you're going to learn. But the growth mindset is power of not yet. So it's not about how talented you are. You can be talented, but if you don't work at it, you won't be successful. Um, it's about taking any talent you have and working hard at it but also you can do you can do anything if you work hard at it and i know people out there will be thinking yeah right but i couldn't run a you know um a sprint as quick as a world a world champion well no of course you can't i mean obviously there was different types of physiques but you could run pretty quick if you worked at it um and there's lots of things like learning a language learning an instrument learning to sing, all of these things we can do if we work at it. And that's what that the theory is all about. So it's about the power of not yet. So not yet, but I'll keep at it. Um, I'll give you an example. Something a bit silly. I um, started the, during lockdown. I needed to do exercise and I was getting bored. So I bought myself a weighted hula hoop. <laughs> well, honestly, I couldn't do hula hoops when I was a kid, or so I told myself. So I bought this weighted hula hoop and two weeks later I was covered in bruises and I still couldn't keep it going around my waist for more than two seconds. But I was determined to prove this theory that works, this not yet theory. So I kept that now, honestly, I can keep that hula hoop going round and round and round and round and round for hours if I wanted to. And it really is about just not giving up and doing a little bit at a time and getting better. I think I think that's that's what's really stuck in my head is um 
So this idea of growth mindset, so as I was reading the book, because I was very fortunate you sent me an advanced copy almost a month ago, which I've been loving reading. And I just like that I get stuff early before everyone else. Uh, <laughs> but one of the, this idea of growth mindset, so I looked into a bit more, and I don't know if you've read, it, uh, read James Clear's Atomic Habits, um, but it, it kind of, this idea of little and often yeah. is is part of the growth mindset. So I, yeah. So my weakness was always like, how will I ever get, and then would suggest something miles away in the horizon yeah. You know, like I'll never get to that and then leave it at that and not try and break it down into incremental steps. So one of the things that kind of stuck in my head was he was like going to the gym. The habit isn't to spend an hour in the gym. The habit you want to build is just get in the car with your gym stuff on and then everything else. Like, So you, it's really just down to one minute. And, and it, it's this idea of having a kind of positive mindset as well as a growth mindset of like, hundreds of little things change your everyday behavior and I think um there's a really cool the cool part the thing I like about the book as well is the second half is a masterclass. so it's it's part of what I'm about to enter into now which is uh um you meant uh, you mentioned in the book journaling and it's something I yeah why didn't you mention why, why you think journaling's kind of important oh, journaling is an amazing thing because you know it's very important part of a growth mindset is being able to reflect on your mistakes or reflect on your learning your growth so having a journal means that you can use that to, to sort of do what we call written reflection. And actually, it's interesting because you can do it. You can do journaling on your computer, but it's not the same. The physical thing of having a nice book and a pen and writing completely accesses a different part of the brain. Um, it sparks up different parts of the imagination and creativity, and it makes us think differently. And be, having a journal means that you can constantly be touch with yourself so that you can know where how you're getting on so it was really important to actually encourage people when they buy the book or, or get the book to actually have a journal alongside it because um journaling something that's relatively new to me and uh i i've written down one of the questions i wanted to kind of say was uh it's fascinating to me that i thought i need to relax in the evening so I want to watch telly or do something, you know, like, or, or do something physical, like keep my, and essentially it was just like short term distraction until bed, you know, like it wasn't, I was actually kind of, when I made the space to sit down and do a journal, even though I've only been doing it for five minutes, I was like, don't try and do a half an hour every night, just do five minutes. Yeah. Even though I don't really know what I'm going to get out of it yet, just the process is actually weirdly more relaxing than I thought it would be, <laughs> uh, you know, to try and make sense of what you've been doing during the day. It's a really good thing to do before bedtime. So actually, you know, there's a lot of research that says we shouldn't be looking at screens before bed because it keeps it actually it disturbs our sleep. So if you literally turn off the TV 30 minutes before you would do normally and do some do a bit of journaling instead, I'm not saying you've got to do half an hour, but, you know, if you do it before bed, it really gives you a chance to actually just let everything out so that you are in a better place to go to sleep. And first thing in the morning is also really great. So often you wake up in the morning with great ideas, don't you? Lots of really great people, and I'm not saying I'm one of them, but lots of them do write journals, of course. Yeah, and I guess uh, it's one of those things, little habits, that after a year or two, you look back and you see all of these journals. And um, so how often do you reflect back? Do you do you give yourself like by by Christmas, I'll have done this. And then six months later, you then go back to what you decided you do. Like how long a time frame do you give yourself to reflect back? Um, I mean, I, I sort of tend to reflect on my day. I reflect on my week. Um, I don't know that I look back that much. I don't know that I go to sort of a year and then look back on my year. I do look at the journal, 
but I tend to do it much more um, in quicker bites so that I can see things that are much more immediate. But no, I guess we're all different. We It's different ways of doing it and whatever suits you really. Some people do journals by, um, you know, drawing. They just literally draw their thoughts. You know, there's lots of different ways that you can do it. So I don't think there's a, a right or wrong way. Um, yeah, up to you really. So tell me a bit more about the, if it's explained to people a bit more about the kind of the masterclass portion. So you mentioned it was a little bit like a gym workout and straight away I'm like, okay, okay, you've, you've, you've caught my attention. <laughs> like a gym workout. It literally is, uh, the analogy is the gym. So we called it the masterclass because of that reason. So you have, um, it's six weeks of exercises. So each of the five, uh, sorry, five weeks of exercises. So it's each of the five skills. It has a week each. And for each day, there is a core exercise. It's obviously the analogy of the gin, which is around that. The core exercises are like underpin everything. And then that underpins the day. And then you go into um, a sprint exercise, which is a quick, quick exercise, not too difficult. Um, very, very quick hits, quick wins. And then there's a stretch exercise, which is a bit more difficult. It takes you outside your comfort zone, makes you work a little bit harder, might be a little bit scary, especially if it's something like we want you to talk to a stranger. I know for some of us, that's not difficult. For some people, they're like, oh, really? Um, and then there's a warm down where you think about what you've learned and what you might want to do tomorrow. And then it starts the next day, starts all over again. And at the end of the week, there's a check-in, like a progress, getting on the, so if you're getting on the scales or you know, that sort of thing. And you reflect back on the week and it goes on like that for six, six weeks. So it really is a workout. It's a masterclass workout for your human skills. Yeah. That's because that, that's why I like, that's why I like the analogy was because, um, so one of the, the, the big things, and I think we'll come on to kind of how the pandemic has changed people's mindsets. But, um, one of the big differences that I've done is I've, I've actually doing a proper, gym training plan like a home gym one which has proper it's like 12 weeks and it has very clear things and because I have consistency in my day like that's one of the benefits I have ruthless consistency I know what I'm doing every minute of every day because I'm not leaving the house um I like that it has up bits and then it purposely gives you weeks to relax like you've got to relax this week you can't like because yeah. so the reason I'm bringing this analogy up is I don't think people are aware the brain is exactly like any other muscle. You should yeah. have peak push, push, push. And then you should you should really build in a week. <laughs> You're feeling tired. You've got to have a down week. Like give yourself that break. Um, yeah. Is that is that how you think you, you see that five week thing working? Yeah. it's be And there's a, you know, I give everybody a day off. <laughs> so you have like six days and then you have the Sunday to just really just chill and re reflect. But yeah, there's lots of, it builds in lots of thinking, lots of reflecting and lots of time. I guess a bit like um, when you're doing like a hit, a hit routine where you do like, you know, an exercise really intense and then you have a rest time. And how, how did you come up with these? Is it like, how have you come to the, how have you come, where do these exercises come from? Are these like oh. a cumulation of all the other things you've been doing with the live people? Yeah, it's a great question because um, absolutely. So um, my, uh, I was talking to the marketing guy for the book the other day and he was going, you know, I was saying to him, look, what's happening? It's not coming out. It's published and it's not out. And he's going, look, it's fine. Just chill. I went, look, this is my life's work. And he went really quiet for a minute because I think he suddenly thought, oh, yeah, he had. I, I said to him, maybe you ought to read the passage in the book about empathy. 
But um, yeah, so it is literally my life's work. It is everything I've ever learned. Every single exercise in it I've done, done in training or I've done myself. And um, yeah, and some of them are sort of things that, you, you know, I've done in training and some of them I've done in coaching, but they're all tried and tested. Definitely. Yeah, yeah I think... Um uh i don't know how to make it so creating the uh, little exercises that purposely push you out of your comfort zone are the ones that i was least looking forward to in the days and the ones i got the most out of because i don't know why like the second you take your brain completely out of something you're used to doing you go into full survival mode and your brain i don't know it was like a fascinating process to be put in that position and you know if you stay comfortable and safe then it's a nice feeling, but you will never learn anything new because you are literally doing the same things. That's why it's comfortable and safe. You're only going to grow when you do something different. I what I uh, So as part of this kind of, I feel like the last year has been a kind of self-improvement process. I guess a lot of people have had time to really like, I guess focus on all the minutiae of your life. But the one yeah. thing in the book, which I'm glad you just picked up on was the asking for feedback from other people. I was like, Oh, I liked everything else she'd said. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course I want to talk more. Yeah, that's great. I have a skill set everyone needs. And then it was like, ask for feedback about your skill set. And I was like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to ask for skill set. You know why Ben? Because you're a feeler like me. So we, because we're feelers, of course, we, if, if as a thinker, when thinkers get feedback, they process it logically up in their head. So they'll start to sort of ask questions around it. Um, and they process it here. We process it right in our gut. So it comes into the gut and we immediately take it personally. So it's like, you know, and we have to lick our wounds a bit. But, it, you know, once we get, I mean, I know, I've not had, I had so much feedback on the book um, before before it was finished. I mean, I sent it to the guy that wrote the um, foreword, Michael Heppel, who is a, a very, you know, quite a well-known author and has written lots of books. He did the forward. I sent it to him and his feedback was, I can't tell you how brutal it was. I cried for a whole day. But you know what? The book was a, it's so much better for it because it really made me think and reflect. You know, a week later, I was fine. And that's, okay. what we've got, that's what we've got to remember. Understand yourself. If you are that type of person, you've almost got to prepare yourself for that feeling. And then have it. Let it wash over you. Take it in. You know, and, and read it a few times and let other people read it so that they take the personal stuff out of it for you and then start to sift through what you can that will help you to grow and learn. I think, it, it, I guess in a way, it also makes you more secure as well, doesn't it? Because uh, like, I'm not saying that you want to surround yourself with people who give you negative feedback, but you know, you're saying talk to <laughs> the right people. Yeah, <laughs> you're saying, you know, talking to the right people and getting the right type of feedback strengthens your opinion and your belief about yourself because yeah. I guess half the time the reason I don't want to hear feedback is because I don't want anyone to make me not believe how my brain thinks about myself <laughs> yeah. well and you know you probably you know who knows yourself more than you do but you know what you're right how you phrase the feedback so for instance let's say you do a presentation and you want to know how it went rather than going to say say, say to somebody how did I do ask them how did I engage? How did you see me engaging with the audience? So it's like you ask for feedback you actually want to hear. So you're still get, you still might get something that's constructive, but if you say, "Oh, how was the presentation?" They might go, "Oh, you know, it's a bit long," and then and before you know it, you're like, Ooh. "So ask for feedback. Ask for what you want." 
and make sure it's forward focused. What could I do differently? What would I could I do differently next time that would actually improve what I did? So it becomes a positive thing as well. It's really interesting. I guess the takeaway from that as well is that if you're not around people who you feel comfortable enough to ask for that, then you're probably not surrounding yourself with the right people. <laughs> Another whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, which, about... uh, which I think maybe that's why I'm more inclined to have this year of like personal growth and stuff because I'm much more control in control of who I interact with and who my team are as opposed to you know when you're you're much younger at a big practice you kind of get given everything and you have no control over who you're with what project you're on or anything um, yeah. so it almost seems like why would I go through that process like yes there's hundreds of things but I can't change that so I guess as I get closer to being able to control my own life I'm more inclined to want to find out how I can better that control, right? Yeah. It's really interesting. So are you, um, with the book then, how, yeah, I'm just fascinated the process of writing a book. Like it goes out, how many metrics and things do you have? Like, do you, do you know like who's bought it? Like how how, do you get feedback? Do you want to get feedback? Do like, like are there milestones you want to hit or are you trying not to worry about these things? I'm a little bit obsessed with Amazon at the moment because, of course, um, you know, originally the book was given a promotional spot at WH Smith's Travel um, because the book is actually an, a year late. Actually, it was supposed to come out last year, but it was delayed because of the pandemic and it was going to go to WH Smith. And then, of course, they close all their stores. So um, the only way it's really going, you really can see it selling is going to be through the online book moment. But I'm obsessed with Amazon because you can go on Amazon, you can see where you are in the in, in, you know, in the, um, all of the books. I think I'm at the moment, I think I'm 50,025 or something silly like that. But apparently new books normally go in at about 2 million. So, you know, I'm, I think that's pretty good. And then on Friday, I was number 50 in the personal development charts. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> literally looking at it all the time, which is mad because it keeps going up and down and, and it's just not, it's not a good idea. So there's all of that. But, you know, um, writing a book's a funny thing because obviously you're not you're not going to get rich writing a book. I hate to say this, but you're just not. Because if my book sells 5,000 copies, that would make it a bestseller in personal development. So bearing in mind, you know, I'm on about a 10% commission. You can start working it out. Yeah. <laughs> going to make very much money. But it's not about that. For me, it was several things, really. Obviously, it helps my profile as a trainer you know it's a good calling card but more than anything else I wanted to have something that you know I could point people to as that sort of bank of all the things that I've ever learned in terms of how to develop those soft skills you know and also it was a massive thing for me because I'm dyslexic so I was always told I couldn't write from very early my school teacher said to me don't be daft don't do anything where you have to write <laughs> get out there and talk because that's what you're better at which is what I did so I like that challenge. So I was always pretty determined that I would have one day write one. So that's amazing that it's it's I guess the tip of the iceberg. You know, you think people just sit down. OK, I'm going to write a book. It made me think, actually, because I saw the word count pop up, pop up. Because so when you sent me the PDF, I could click it on my Kindle and it would automatically oh. zap it into the Kindle as an actual Kindle book. And it. um I had a suddenly a moment of how much effort it is because I can't remember the word count, but it was it, it was in the tens of thousands or whatever. 
I remember having to edit my 15,000 word dissertation and it killed me having to reread it and reorder it and get people to look at it. And I must have looked at it 10 times before I sent it in. And that was only 15,000 words. And I thought something of that scale with that many people helping, that many people looking at it, you must have been, are you completely sick of it by the time you finish it or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. When I first finished, I really missed it. I oh, really was only ever really because I, I could only write at weekends because I was busy working. I did a lot of thinking. So as a my personality type is that like you, that P, that A, so it's merging ideas. So all all the time there were things coming in, um, things I'd read or things people would say, and I'd research them, whatever. But I could only actually write at a weekend, and I used to just take myself off um, to a sort of quiet place, coffee shop of quietness of it being all about my me and my creativity and my message and I missed it so now I'm thinking what am I going to write next <laughs> yeah well I I, th I think the the process of you going through that um and, and taking all of those years of experience and collecting it collating it into a book I'm actually yeah. really jealous uh that I, I I create more this podcast is the closest I've got to a kind of uh, a box that I can collect all my wonderful experiences in and, and then all the people I've met and look back on it right and and then suddenly like stand out as a book for you it's like a real milestone isn't it it's a collection of all your experience and you can look back and go wow look at look how much I've done and I, yeah, I'm, I'm jealous <laughs> also different ways of communicating and I think doing you know, like you're saying or your podcast so you're creating your own story that way through people so it, it's a it's a different process, but it, there's, there's definitely some similarities in it um, in terms of understanding people. So, yeah, I am very proud of it, I must say. Well, I don't blame you. So, it, I mean, it's um, so across the last year, then, um, I would love to talk to you about the mindset of people that you've been talking to over the last year, because uh, you more than anyone will have seen that change in people's perception of face to face. And um having that time to think i mean have, have you always been doing it in teams or do you do it one-on-one -on -one? do you is it is it always with larger groups most of what i do is um larger groups but i do do coaching one-on-one -on -one coaching i've done more one-on-one -on -one coaching during the pandemic i guess especially um if in the one hand you're saying growth mindset and you should think positively about all these things and then yeah. someone goes yeah but i've lost my business like i i, I need to mourn that business <laughs> exactly and i think what we i think the key thing is to Come out of this thing and look for ways for making it a good thing, if you like, or changing the world and making it better. I mean, you know, I, I'm all for positivity and I'm all for the fact that um, if you are able to find some good in all of this, great. And there are lots of good things, but just be careful about bragging about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think um, part of... Okay, so I think the reason you probably had a lot of these chats, right, is that there's a quote from your book that um, as an employee, we don't remember the perks like free lunches, parties and free massages. What we remember is empathy, compassion and kindness. And actually, I feel that what this pandemic has done is it's shown the bosses and the leaders who have empathy and those who don't. And if you suddenly didn't realize your boss was maybe like that, across zoom you know suddenly you're presented with quite a harsh reality that oh do you know what the oh i've maybe this is not a nice relationship and for a couple of weeks but you can maybe handle it but for a year <laughs> you know yeah. it, it, and it's really stressful i think i think i know a lot of people that have not enjoyed not being in the office and have really missed 
having the office interaction. I think I'm definitely in the midpoint where I can appreciate there's some things that I work better at home. Uh, I that quiet time I actually get too distracted I'm too excited by 50 million people talking and I love it and then but I really miss seeing people's having that interaction with people it's like bonding and also makes you worry less uh I, yeah I, I imagine anxiety like is is a much higher thing because you're just on your own <laughs> you can just spiral in your own head can't you is, is that something that you, you've been kind of talking to a lot of people about so, um, I was asked to write an article for, um, I think it was for, I've written quite a few articles, but I think it was for Forbes, just like a comment on stress and the um, the impact of leaders on their people and the stress that it's causing this time. And actually, you're absolutely right. It's the leaders that have not been practicing empathy, not been staying in contact, not been communicating effectively, that have caused the stress, caused 67% of people were feeling disconnected from their work colleagues and their leaders. That's a huge, that's three, I think that's two thirds, isn't it? Or three quarters nearly of the workforce are feeling that way. But it is the people that are now forced to work at home. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think, um, you know, I always say that, I think it says, I think I say this in the book, empathy is not saying I want to, um, I understand. It's not saying I understand. You know, when people do that, I understand how you feel. You know, I understand you're feeling like this. That's not empathy, it's understand. And asking and listening and making that contact and saying, I'm here for you. That's what real empathy is. Mm, I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, uh, I, I was interesting with our company at the beginning, I was tasked with just, talking to people you know just because uh, like uh, and some people you know had been furloughed they weren't in very much and just just literally just ringing them and talking to them I could have done it over email could have done it in five seconds but actually just to have that kind of we did a stupid Spotify playlist I made them all tell me what their favorite five songs were I went to town and and I realized oh okay that's where I'm that's something that is really important to people especially people who don't like being across kind of teams and zoom and things um I am. Um, I, I wanted to. Just, I, I kind of we're, we're nearing the hour mark, but there's there's a part that I wanted to talk to you about that I was really fascinated. Like, um, it's all about uh, soft skills and in in the education and school system, actually, um, prepping children to have a growth mindset is is a fascinating new new way of me thinking. And I only say that because my son's five; he's just gone to school, and. I realize if he is like me <laughs> that uh, he he will respond far more to situational information than being forced to just factory process information and regurgitate information yeah. and I feel that maybe and AI is advancing faster than schools are developing a yeah. curriculum and and it and it just feels like ha you, there's no way you can't argue with that statement and yet we're still going through the same process. And um, yeah. my wife's m massively fascinated with this as a topic as well. And and I'm, yeah, I'm just curious, like, do you have any links with the education system? Or do, how, how did you do that portion of your book and research? Well, um, I work for a very large educational company, um, do training for them. And um, they, uh, and I've worked with them for a long time all over the world. And they have lots of different um, avenues into uh, understanding young people and 
and the like. And also just, you know, doing just doing the research and the reading. But, you know, Cal Dweck's research was all all four children. That's what it, and that's where growth mindset comes from. It's only recently that businesses are picking up, up on it. In fact, the kids can probably tell you more about it than, you know, a lot of the adults. So if you talk about, not so much your son, because he's quite young still, but so they might not be, they might not quite have, cottoned on to the idea that maybe the STEM subjects and tech and all that might, they, you know, they, they should be doing those things, but maybe they ought to be doing some soft skills training as well and teaching kids to be able to talk and socialize and interact and present and all those things and inspire, um, tell stories, all of that. Yeah, I think they, they have mindset down. They are teaching that. They're teaching them to teach kids to fail. They're teaching kids that mistakes are, the, are not the end of learning, but the beginning. And they're teaching kids that they need to put effort in. So, you know, when a kid says, I'm not very good at maths, a teacher won't accept that now. They will just say, okay, you're not very good at maths yet. And that's where that power mm. of not yet comes. So that's, a, I think that's a very healthy place for the schools to be in. Well, I really, you know, it's funny when you hear about schools stopping you know, drama and arts and music and fo focusing on the STEM subjects. And yet mm. it's probably going to be those things in the future that actually the kids to act to actually get a job and to career. It's going to be so different. Your, your little boy, he will have a job that you've never heard of. You won't even, you can't even imagine it, yeah. in fact, <laughs> right now. Yeah, I think that, I think that maybe that's why uh understanding more about yourself is allowed me to understand more about my kids you know because i have such a, it's very clear that i have a very similar personality to my son it's almost impossible to oh. ignore so it it's fascinating i'm i'm becoming more and more interested in the education of children than i realized um and i do think like teaching your kids to fail is such an easy thing to say to a child but it's so difficult to say to yourself as an adult like at work just don't worry about failing you're like are you insane i'll get fired well, like but i know yeah such a stigma to failure in the business world and yet there is no innovation there's no innovation without failure and if companies don't create a failure culture then they will end up standing still so you, as an architect you know because you've probably had to put yourself out there so many times where you've failed or you've been told that your designs are not good enough or go and sort them out you know, you've probably had a better education at failing than most people. But yeah, stigma wise, you know, you can't fail. Yeah, because I guess for most people, success is linear, isn't it? It's just a vertical yeah. line. That's what people think yeah. it is. <clears throat> it never it never dips down. You're like, no, no, it's just got to continually yeah. go up and up and up. And you're like, that's that's not how it works. You've got to have a few off weeks, months. Well, look at all the really successful inventors. I mean, you know, there's some really famous ones, you know. Yeah, got to remember that um, we should we should encourage our children to make mistakes, support them through it, but they they need to be able to make mistakes. So uh, so I guess it, we'll wrap this up now. So so what's next then? I mean, I feel like I had my I had my jab on the weekend. I feel like the world's borders, uh, sorry, my uh, people borders in the country are slowly starting to open up. People are going to start seeing each other. Are you anticipating like a rocket fueled <laughs> summer? Or <laughs> so, do you know what I think? Um, possibly. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of anxiety around people thinking I'm going to go, it's going to literally one minute we're going to be wearing masks and socially distancing and the next day 
Freedom Day. And I think there's quite a lot of anxiety around that. Even I, I could feel it myself because I had my first inquiry about a face-to-face course last week. And I freaked out and I went, really? You really want to do it face-to-face? And he went, he went well, yeah, because I don't think we could... It's definitely got to be face-to-face. And I was like, I almost heard myself trying to talk him out of it. So, um, yeah, so I think got to get over that. But no, I actually think there might be a bit more balance between this and face-to-face. So my, I think I'll do a bit of both. But um, I don't know whether it's only going to go bang and we're all going to go nuts. What do, what do you think? I, I honestly can't tell. Yeah. I, 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 my only glimmer is I went to a coffee shop, maybe. I had to go to the dentist in London, which is allowed. Uh, and I went to a coffee shop afterwards and the guy said, he works in the hospitality industry, and he said every single beer garden and restaurant with any outdoor space is basically fully booked for the next well, six months. Like, there in you London. are. That is going to be bad. We're all going to go pop. Yeah. And I just think maybe for that first week, but I'm like you, I'm like, I guess I've, it's been a year. I've got used to this way of life. This is the normal now. So irrelevant of if you were used to it, how often do you ever have a year off the whole world doing anything? You know, it's just. They call it the great pause. I I think, uh, I think that's, that's definitely a good way to uh to end that podcast <laughs> on the great pause but uh thank you so much for talking to me i really enjoyed that yeah, i really enjoyed it too there you go that was episode 29 of the create more podcast with deborah stevens uh I, yeah she's her book stand out you should read it five key skills to advance your career it's uh it's out on amazon to get now um it's really good and the kind of i'm only in week one of all, all the kind of master class at the end started doing my journal uh and genuinely found it really really interesting so if you've learned anything from this i really hope you get into that book um and yeah and on next week's podcast i am very excited it's not been fully confirmed but tom buck uh is a podcaster but the important thing is he's in america and he's I, i'm gonna say he's like a mirror version of me uh, so I'm really excited to talk to him. It's a great podcast all about how to do podcasts. And I think he's a teacher as well. Anyway, I'm excited to do my first international recording. Um, so I'm excited to do that. So click subscribe and I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get into contact with me, go to www.createmorepodcasts.com and go on the about page. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.